Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1347. Today on Cars Yeah, I'm celebrating the 7th annual Carmel Mission Classic that takes place on Wednesday, August 14th at the Carmel Mission in Carmel-by-the-Sea during the Monterey Pebble Beach Car Week. For more information, go to carmelmissionclassic.org. Never, ever, ever give up. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, calling in from beautiful Tucson, Arizona, Jim Cantrell. Jim, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Or in your case, are you uh, buckled into the rocket and ready for a fun ride? I'm in the rocket seat, ready to go. All right, this is cool. Jim Cantrell is an American entrepreneur, mechanical engineer, and road racer. He is CEO and co-founder of Vector Launch Incorporated. After working at the French space agency, CNES, and the NASA Jet Propulsion Lab. He worked as an independent consultant to aerospace companies for 15 years and was on the founding team of SpaceX and Moon Express. Jim received the NASA Innovation Award for Mars Balloon Technology in 1989. He is the author of 20 technical papers. Jim also participates in road racing and has run in the 24 hours of Thunder Hill at Thunderfield Raceway, and he's raced in the 24 hours of Daytona Classic. In 2005, he founded Vintage Exotics Competition Engineering, which designs and restores race cars. Very cool. Well, Jim, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Before I jump into the questions, would you uh, share a little bit more about your very fascinating career and a passion for driving old cars really fast? Sure. Well, I can tell you that the only thing I've ever known for sure I wanted to do in my life is race cars. So everything else has been just kind of a bonus in uh, trying to find ways to earn money to buy the more exotic cars and to race the more exotic cars. So that's led me from, you know, career in France where I worked on a Soviet mission to Mars, learned about the Soviets. I spent six years in former Soviet Union in Russia uh, working on joint missile defense projects with them and, you know, was part of the early SpaceX uh, crowd with Elon Musk. I was the guy that took Elon to Russia to buy Russian rockets and that failed. Yeah, you could read about it. It's in a few books here and there. And yeah, so I've just been open to a lot of interesting things, but my love has really always been cars and I've always just come back to cars. And Vector's an interesting sort of merging of my vintage exotics uh, company and really what started with SpaceX where we I sold my SpaceX shares and we started a new rocket company and my guys from the car company came in to help build rockets like we build cars. You know, Cindy Meidel, our mutual friend, introduced me to you and she said, you've got to have Jim on your show. This is one of the most fascinating guys that I know. And Cindy knows a lot of people. So uh, you're in very high standing in her world. I think we could do a couple shows about you between your uh, SpaceX and rockets. And the day we're recording this, I see Elon Musk has stepped down from Tesla. So some changes happening there. I certainly wish the company success as it moves forward. I've always admired Elon. I can't imagine what it must be like working with him, and that would be a whole show in and of itself. But we're going to continue on your journey today, Jim, and I want to ask you for a success quote or a mantra. This is uh, some kind of saying that's been instrumental in your success in life, and it's a nice way to get the inspirational tires smoking here on Cars, yeah? So, Jim, take the wheel. So, yeah, I, the thing that's always been, I don't know if it's inspiration, but it's a reminder that breeds success for me is never, ever, ever give up. 
And that applies in racing. It applies in restoring cars. It applies in life and certainly applies in business. So, so every time you do something worth doing, it seems like it's difficult. And when you do difficult things, you have difficult days. You have bad days, frankly. So you just have to remember this. It's like one of my favorite books, right? The Art of Racing in the Rain. There's another quote in there. You know, if you spun off in the corner, you're still in the race and you get back on. Because if you're a true racer, you get back in the game. That's the same with life. You just never give up. I've been in a number of these endurance races. And this is where it's the most stark and obvious that you don't give up. And I can remember doing one about three years ago at Road America. It was an eight-hour race, and our Porsche was not doing well. And it was the first time we had this 997 out in an endurance format. You know, I kept driving it, and it was stuttering going down the straight. And I kept thinking, oh, no, the engine's going to go. We're leaning out. And then I realized, you know, it was uh, smoke coming out the back, so it's going uh, too rich. You know, and so then suddenly your mentality changes. But it would be easy to just park the car and say, uh, we're out. Well, we won that race. Wow. After we figured out what it was, yes. Yeah. Well, I remember Le Mans a few years ago when I believe it was Toyota was in the lead. And then I think the last lap, they just, uh, yeah. 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 You just never know how things turn out. So that's both the magic of life and the art of it is you just have to be open to what might happen and you have to just not give up. And doors open, doors close, things happen. It's a journey. It's not a destination. I know that's tripe to hear it, but it really is true, and you just can't give up. I've interviewed hundreds of racers here on Cars Yeah, and I'll tell you, every one of them, and this puts you in that Cars Yeah alumni organization now, and especially in the racer column, every single one of them, that's the quote. And it's so true. I used to race vintage cars, and I got to do a few endurance races, which I actually found much more enjoyable than the normal vintage racing of a 15-minute race, and it was over. Uh, endurance racing is fascinating and after having people like Vic Elford and Hurley Haywood on the show uh, and you talk to these guys Patrick Long I mean yeah you just can't give up because you just don't know I mean it's uh, all sorts of things can happen so I'm glad you brought that up and you gave me some encouragement this week I've had some challenges and sometimes just going why am I doing what I'm doing I'm gonna go do something (laughs) else but uh, you know what you rev me up here Jim I appreciate that so never ever give up nice inspiration Let's go back in time and talk about a story that instigated your passion for cars. You're a technical guy, an engineer, obviously, a, or I'll call you a rocket scientist if I may today. But is there a pivotal moment in your life when you knew you were also a car guy? Yeah, I really say there's two things. So when I was very young, say, I don't know, I guess I was 12 years old, walking home from school in this little town of Ukaipa I grew up in in California, there was a go-kart and it was parked out in front of this house and every day I'd walk by, it didn't move. And, uh, you know, I watched the leaves come and go off this go-kart. And finally, I got the bravery to just knock on the front door. And some nice lady answered the door. And I said, you know, hi, I'm, I see your go-kart's been sitting there for a long time. wonder if whoever owns it might want to sell it. And she says, well, it's my son's. I don't know. And so let me get back to you. So I scribbled my phone number out on some paper and gave it to her. This was the 1970s. And uh, so about three weeks later, my mother comes out. And she says, this nice lady called and says that you talked to her about buying a go-kart. It was a rough go-kart, as it turned out. And so she says, uh, your dad and I are going to go buy it. We were poor. We didn't have a lot of money. And I think we bought it for $20 or something like that. And I can remember that go-kart, you know, getting lit up for the first time. And that was that feeling that I still feel when I'm out on the racetrack or when I get a car running. It's indescribable for those. And I feel sorry for people who don't understand this, right? It's this childish excitement that drives us. It keeps us in the game because that's the sort of thing you want to relive over and over. And so I had that same feeling later. It was about 2007, 
And it was during a pretty pivotal moment in my life. I was out at Laguna Seca. I was a big fan of that particular Monterey historic race every year. Now I drive it here. I was not driving it at the time. And I remember standing in the middle of the track and hearing the Can-Ams going around the track. And I realized right then, this is where I had to be the rest of my life. You know, this is what it was to me. And this, I never felt more alive than I did in that moment, just being right there. I knew I belonged there. Yeah. You know, we share a few things here, Jim, because of some friends of mine and I, when we were a kid, we scrambled together some parts and an old lawnmower motor and made a little gar- <laughs> go-kart. And then where I lived down in California, we had alleys behind the houses, right. you know, and so we had this alley and it was paved and that was going to be our racetrack. And we got this car all put together and I got to be the first guy and I jump in this thing. I go ripping off and realize we didn't connect the cable to the brakes. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> and I went all the way down to the end, went right into this lady's garage door, caved in her garage door. and was like, oh my gosh, I'm surprised I didn't split my head open. And she came out and yelling at us and my mom and <laughs> like, what are you doing? And every, all the kids scattered. I was uh, turned around. All my colleagues and my teammates were gone, you know, right. in their yards again. So, uh, but yeah, I know what you mean. The first time I jumped in a vintage race car, a 1960 Lotus Formula Junior. And I went to Laguna Seca to get my racing license. And that feeling, oh my gosh, that feeling is incredible. It's cool. Well, let's take a look at some of the roads you've driven down, talk about a challenge or a failure. You have gone into careers that are wrought with challenges and failures. We could probably talk about this topic forever, but perhaps pick one. Maybe it's relating to cars, whatever you want to go with this or wherever you want to go. But the most important part is what did that specific situation teach you that you learned from it so that you could move forward in a positive way? Yeah, so this one's actually not terribly related to cars. I started life all over in 2007. I went through a divorce from a marriage that was 20-some-odd years in length. Yeah, it was terrible. It was not of my choosing. And, you know, I ended up basically with three things that were important to me, my cars and tools, of course, and my music collection and my businesses. So at this point, you know, I was estranged from my children. I was estranged from my entire family and I had to start all over. So I asked myself, what is it I want to do? And so it was an opportunity to really remake myself in a way that I could choose, you know, this new life. And, you know, I decided what I had been doing was somewhat dishonorable and I was going to live an honorable life going forward, you know, career-wise. I was part of the military industrial complex, as I like to call it, And, you know, I began to see, you know, my son's friends come home from this war with body parts missing and, you know, their souls destroyed. And and I said, not doing this anymore. So I, that's when I started in the automotive engineering and uh, that led me to Vector, which is where I'm at now. And that was an opportunity to really have a new set of doors open. And I think what that really taught me was that life presents you with things that you at first might think are tragedies, but end up actually being tremendously wonderful growing experiences. And perhaps it's how we choose to deal with them. Perhaps it's having our eyes open to the possibilities. I like to say that people who are prepared for luck are the ones who see it. You know, I've seen a number of people who have luck just go right under their nose and they wouldn't know it if if it hit them in the head, right? So that's the thing is, you know, some people call it turning lemons into lemonade. But you know, the reality is, is, you know, you really have to keep your eyes open to the possibilities that's presented to you every day. I believe there's doors opening every day. When Elon Musk called me out of the blue in 2001, I thought he was a creep and he wanted to come visit me in my house and my kids were there and I said, no way, you know, so I lied to him and I met him behind the security in Salt Lake City 
where I was living and, you know, at the airport. So you could pack a gun, you know, and look what that ended up being, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you just don't know, right? And people say, well, you've lived this colorful life. Well, I think it's because I just, you know, I'm not really afraid of things. And I, I just take these open doors and walk through them, you know. And so that was a huge open door that I had no choice to walk through, but it was it ended up being a very good one. You know, it's a fascinating story, and I'm very sorry about the divorce and everything you went through there. I can't even imagine that. But I love the optimism you've shared here and the inspiration. And I always say about luck, it's when preparation meets opportunity, when they collide into each other. And, you know, just to dwell on this for a moment, you talk about people, and we're on Skype, so you've ran your hand across your face like, you know, luck walks right in front of them and they don't see it. What is something that you could offer to somebody? Because I've seen the same thing and you go, man, you just, why did you not take that? And (laughs) what's something you could offer maybe to people to help them see opportunity when it's right there in front of them that some people just simply can't for whatever reason? I think it's fear that drives people away from these things. I'm not sure that they don't see it. I believe they don't recognize it because they don't have the experience of having had these things turn out this way. And so they're naturally fearful of change. And uh, I grew up, you know, very fearful of change just because of my circumstances. But, you know, the life sort of forced me to, you know, learn how to deal with, again, not giving up. You know, you end up in these situations that are potentially very troublesome and you just have to find your way out of it. You have to think your way through these things. So it gave me some self-confidence. I think that's the thing I would tell people is, you know, you got to work on having some confidence in yourself that you can and will get through these things no matter what. And that, okay, so maybe you got this great career and another op- job opportunity comes along and it doesn't pay as much, but it's got, you know, this, this great mission potential, whatever, go do it. You know, what's the worst that can come out of this? You know, I don't think people have that attitude. I think of life as a zero-sum game, and it's not. It's a very dynamic thing. And, uh, you know, that's the American spirit that I learned was, you know, we don't see life as a zero-sum, you know, fixed pie that you get your slice out of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a much, many pies out there you can take pieces out of. That's cool. make a bigger one. And there yeah. you go. There you go. You know, my dad years ago taught me the letters in the word fear, F-E-A-R, actually stand for false evidence assumed real. And <laughs> I always think about that when I get nervous about, well, he, I wanted to go surfing and I was kind of nervous. We went down to the beach and I look out in the ocean and I did all my <laughs> lifeguard training and I was confident in the water, but these waves looked a little big and I was a little nervous and I said, ah, maybe not the right day. And he said, are you afraid? And you, of course, you don't want to admit you're afraid to your dad, oh, right? Come on. You know, <laughs> and that's when we had that talk. And I always remember that talk with him and how important that was. And so anytime I'm a little nervous about something, I just think of my dad. I lost him a few years ago, so he's not here. But I do think of all the things he shared with me. And that's definitely one of them. So nice story. I will confess every time I get in a race car and I sit there and I put, you know, it's uncomfortable getting in the gear. You sit in the car and particularly when I'm sitting on the grid watching the prior group, I think this is the dumbest damn thing I've done in my entire <laughs> life. And sometimes I get a little scared, you know, yeah. honestly. And then, then the engine starts up and that's all gone. Yeah. Right. And it's like this whole other mind takes over. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Been there, done that. That right leg shaking a little bit. Like, what am I doing here? This is crazy. Spending my money and my time doing this and going to get killed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I've been there, done that. Let's have a little bit of fun and talk about your first really special vehicle. I know you've had some cool cars, either race cars or street cars, but let's talk about the first one that you acquired in your life that was really important and really special to you and share a memory you have about that ride. So pivotal vehicle for me, the first one was a 1963 Jaguar Roadster. 
Yeah, it was beautiful. And it was back in the early 80s when they weren't very expensive. And long story about how I acquired it. But, you know, so I had it for about six months before I sold it. And that car really opened my eyes to the possibility of high-speed European touring machinery. And prior to that, I was really kind of a you know classic American kid. I stuffed a V8 in a Vega. And, uh, <laughs> cool. Yeah, you know, it was like getting beat by the gardener's truck. And but this thing, you know, not only attracted girls, but it was truly a driving machine. And you felt like you were in a jet fighter driving it down the road. I'll never forget the uh, Snap-on dealer, who you know was sort of the older version of a crack dealer. You know, if, <laughs> yeah. if anybody's ever been a mechanic, right? Oh, yeah. I was actually a mechanic paying my way through college, but. He would come into the Ford dealer, and he had the same exact car as a 1964 instead of a 63. And at the time, it was a Sunday, and this was in Logan, Utah, which was a quiet you know, little town back. And uh, we got to the northernmost stoplight in this car, in this Jaguar, and it was summertime. And at the top down, and my friend Bart was in the right-hand seat. And then I heard this other Jaguar pull up next to me, and it was Don West, who was the Snap-on dealer, and his okay. wife. <laughs> and he looked over at me, he had sunglasses on, gave me that smile. And we both knew, right? Yeah. And his wife pulled her hat down and sunk <laughs> down in the seat. Yeah. Uh-oh, <laughs> here we green, go. <laughs> we took off, you know, yeah. and uh, we were probably going 110 out through there. Not smart, but we did it. And uh, we drag raced. Neither one of us could pass each other. You know, and it, it was like one of those scenes from Gumball Rally in the middle of the night where they can't quite get past each other. And uh, we got to the next town and, of course, slowed down, you know, and he waved and went on his way. So that was just like one of those impressioning things for me that I never got rid of, right? It was always trying to recreate the sensation of that car, the joy of that car, the love of that car, and looking at all the other cars that came along. So that was really, I think, the turning point for me in my car collecting. And then, of course, the first race car I ever had was a Shelby Can-Am. And that one totally changed my view. A Can-Am car? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's serious vintage racer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I started. Those are scary cars. Yeah, it's, it's still a scary car. <laughs> yeah, I've done 200 miles an hour at Daytona in it. And yeah, it's like going in a 57 Chevy in Daytona at that speed. So yeah, I've survived it so far. I'm still here to walk around. But, you know, that was sort of my intro to racing was that. I did a lot of drag racing before that. But the first road racer was a Shelby Canyon. Oh, my gosh. You know, when you get a chance to drive, I've been able to drive one a T70 and uh, not race it, but drive it on a track. And when you drive one of those things and you come in, you go, how did those guys do those long multi-hour races in these cars ba- hour after? Oh, my gosh. My level of those drivers was already very high. You know, the gurneys and Surtees. I mean, all those guys. But it just went through the roof. I went, I don't know how they did this. These are scary cars. It's like sleeping with an alligator, right? <laughs> That's a good way to say it. Yeah. yeah. I've got Donahue's old T-163 Lola. And driven it at, at uh, Laguna Seca. And you're right. You know, you get out there. And then, then the guys in the OP, uh, the Black Shadows, you know, they go, oh, they just blow by me. And, I'm, and I know the guy that drives it. And I'm thinking, you are just insane, right? I mean, I feel insane as it is. And I watch him blow by me, you know, Bennett. You're, you've double insane. And he's wrapped that thing around the wall a couple of times. And they just rebuild it and go back out. Uh, yeah, yeah, scary cars to crash into. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll bet you have a, a lot of these stories, seller remorse stories, but is there one car in particular? And I'm going to take money off the table because let's not even go there. Let's just think about emotions. Is there a car you've let go in your life that you really wish, why did I let that go? You know, you'll find this really strange, yes. So it was a 2002 Maserati Spider, 
And uh, it was the first year of the new Spiders that came out. And it was black. It was a manual transmission. And it nothing special about the car, but my son and I drove it all over the place. You know, he was, you know, in his early teens. And he and I went and did a lot of these rallies in Colorado and things like that. And I just have some great memories from that car and the sound of it. You know, they say when you buy an Italian car, you get the engine first. That's what you buy it for. And then you get the body wrapped around it as an extra. But for me, it was always the sound. These Italian cars, particularly the Maserati V8s, are just they're like a symphony. You know, I can remember driving this one back from a uh, rally in Colorado. And we're driving through the area south of Price, Utah, which is pretty remote. And this truck came up on us in this car. And it was a Ford truck of some sort. And this is when I first learned about these turbo diesels and how fast they really were. He kept getting on me. I kept going faster. We were probably, probably doing a buck thirty by the time he passed me. Oh my gosh! Uphill in this turbo Ford. You know, truck. Ford trailer. Like, what is going <laughs> yeah. on here? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. So this is why I went racing. I quit doing this stuff on the street. Yeah. In case your listeners are wondering. Yeah, you kids out there, don't follow Jim's lead as far as no. driving fast. Do that on the track. There's plenty of places and opportunities to go fast on the track, especially these days with all the inattentive drivers out there. So, Well, and I'm an example of everything your mother doesn't want you to do. Okay. <laughs> we should have put that warning label on the show at the beginning, but at least we've stuck it in there. I would love for you to share more with my listeners about your businesses. Uh, one, talk a bit about Vector, and the other about Vintage Exotics Competition Engineering. So take it away. Yeah, so Vector's kind of interesting. We're, you know, I mentioned that I was one of the early guys at SpaceX. And so two of the Vector co-founders were actually part of that early story. Uh, Elon Musk called me in 2001 wanting to do this mission to Mars with his own money. He just left PayPal and wanted to buy Russian rockets. And it turns out I was part of this crew that went in after the Soviet Union fell down in this former Soviet Union and helped convert ICBMs to satellite launchers. And I flew a couple satellites out of a Soviet submarine a Russian, I guess it was by that time, and we converted ICBMs to satellite launchers and did some satellite launches. So I was the guy that was known as that. Well, some of my cohorts that are Vector founders, John Garvey and Eric Besnard, were helping on this mission. Uh, but what they were doing in their garage, instead of building race cars like a guy should, they were building liquid rockets. And they were you know, 30-foot-long rockets and makes their wives park their, their cars out on the street for that. And so Elon saw this and was so inspired, that's what caused him to decide he could build rockets himself. This is what led to SpaceX. So, you know, these guys wanted to build small rockets, and the market really wasn't there for the small rockets back then. So Elon wanted to build something bigger. I joined up with SpaceX for a while. They went on their way. Come back 15, 18 years later, this market for these little tiny rockets really has come around because satellites have gotten smaller. And so I decided to sell my SpaceX stock by their company that had been pursuing this, and that's how we started Vector. So the idea was I was going to mesh together my automotive engineering company, Vintage Exotics, with this rocket company, and that we would build rockets like we build cars. So the idea is that we could, quote, mass produce, unquote, really amounts to limited production kind of numbers, you know, 100 a year kind of numbers with rockets, but cost reduction you get from that is pretty substantial. So... Uh, Normal automobile, I don't care what you drive, it's probably a 50 or $100 million first unit cost. And you, by the time you get it, it's $25,000, dollars $100,000. And so same thing happens with rockets. So what we're going to do is mass produce these and fly them by the hundreds a year. And uh, we make great profits doing this. And uh, so far, we've been able to raise over $100 million investors. And uh, we're about to our first orbital flight here. Sitting right here, in, thank you, I'm sitting here in my rocket factory where a lot of my former 
race car builders are out pounding metal and uh, making carbon fiber parts. And it's funny that we had investors here yesterday and they were saying, oh, where'd you guys learn how to make carbon fiber stuff? I said, well, these are guys that built race car bodies for me at a carbon fiber. You know, so, so there's a great crossover between rockets and cars. And that's one of the funny things about this industry I found out is there's a lot of car guys in it. There's a guy we hired from Blue Origin the other day. I was talking to him. He's, a, he's an engine guy in Blue Origin, Chef Bezos's rocket. And he had a Lamborghini shirt on. And I said, oh, you know, what Lamborghini do you have and so on? And we got talking. I shook his hand and he's missing fingers. And I said, he goes, I'm a pump guy, <laughs> turbo pump guy on a rocket. I said, okay, the Lamborghini eater or the turbo pump? And he says, no, no, the turbo pump. <laughs> so at any rate, yeah, there's just, just a lot of us who are into, into cars. And a lot of the SpaceX guys that we brought in, they all race Porsches and things like that. So there's just this interesting mixture. But vintage exotics was kind of my answer to my life change, which was, I was going to go back to my first passion. And so we stood the company up. We designed and built race cars. And we won every race we could afford to win. In fact, beat Patrick Long and uh, Brian Redman in the 24 hours of Daytona Classic when we ran in that. And so, that you know, that it's still going, but that it morphed into Vector was sort of an appropriate end for you know, the high of that company. Yeah, very cool. What a wonderful story. And uh, both Patrick and Brian have been guests on the show here, so uh, that's pretty cool. Again, part of a cool alumni. Fascinating. I could talk to you for hours, I think, about all this stuff. Well, Jim, up next is the last lap before we put the pedal to the metal. Let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. That's right. 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft has been manufacturing premium quality exterior and interior covers for over 50 years with a stellar reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit over 80,000 patterns and growing. They are the only cover I'll put on my vehicles. You can choose from a wide variety of fabrics, styles, colors, and more. From full cover designs for factory to custom-made vehicles, plus convertible top covers, trucks, truck cab coolers, motorcycles, scooters, ATVs, trailers, campers, personal watercraft, and a wide variety of custom features. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at carsyeah.com. Hey, Mark Green here from Cars Yeah. Did you know you can now see me on the Cars Yeah TV show? It's a weekly visit to some of my past Cars Yeah podcast guests, and I take you along for the ride. You go behind the garage door and into their lives, their businesses, and you get to see what makes them successful. With tens of millions of viewers, Cars Yeah TV is making its mark. Cars Yeah TV is available on Mav TV and Lucas Oil Racing TV. You'll find Mav TV on Direct TV. Fubo TV, Fios by Verizon, or you can stream it through Lucas Oil Racing Television online. And they said I only had a face for podcasting. 
All right, Jim, we're back. And I have a bit of an introspective question for a guy like you. This should be an interesting answer. If you came back tomorrow as a car or a vehicle, maybe it's a rocket. We'll see how you answer this. If you were actually manifested into a vehicle of propulsion that moves people or moves cargo, what would Jim be and why? <laughs> That's a really good question about kind of two minds. But I think I would pick, pick a Porsche GT3 because they always win and they always surprise, right? But I don't speak German, so maybe that doesn't work so well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, das ist gut. Yeah, GT3, one of my favorite. I was shooting a, one of my Cars yeah TV shows in Texas with a Jack of Garages of Texas. They build these condos and things. And he had just bought a new GT3T Touring. And it was raining that day, but he let me take it out for a drive. And I fell in love with that car. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, it's a magnificent machine. It's just so perfectly balanced and it's put together in such a way that you wouldn't think it should work from an engineering perspective. And a rear engine car shouldn't be that good, but it is, and particularly in the rain. Yeah. Well, when you have, uh, what is it now, 60 years of practice, something like that, or is it 70? <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah find... Some people think that that configuration should never have worked, but they made it work after 60 years. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. All right, Jim, we are entering the last lap. This is a place you've been many times. The white flag is out, the checker's in the distance, your foot's into it. And I'm going to ask you a series of questions and ask you to uh, give us some quick blips of that GT3 throttle. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? (laughs) Don't think that the first thing that's wrong with it is actually what's wrong with it. Yeah, (laughs) I've been there, done that. (laughs) We talked about that in our pre-show chat here. Yeah, exactly. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your many successes over the years? I don't know if it's a habit or it's a characteristic. I think I'm missing the fear gene, right? I just, uh, it's probably detrimental. Well, I think that's a good thing. If you're going to miss anything, that's a good one to miss. How about a resource? There are so many these days, but is there one in particular you'd like to share? You know, uh, I would have to say that it's it's always the catalogs. <laughs> catalogs? Yeah, I always find parts catalogs to be some of the best resource, you know, for finding how things come together. So like, for example, I put my Maserati Ghibli that had burned to the ground and I had boxes of parts, put it together out of parts catalog. You know, you look long enough at that, there's a tremendous amount of technical information in those things. Yeah, absolutely. Is there one in particular that's kind of you seem to go to a lot? Well, I go to Summit Racing a lot, honestly, to look for ideas for problems to solve, you know, and Part of it's just figuring out the keywords. It used to be, in the old days, we had paper catalogs, and I had you know a bunch of go-tos that don't exist anymore. But yeah, no, Summit and then Aircraft Supply, what the hell's the name of it? Yeah, these Aircraft Supply catalogs uh, are just awesome for even you know race car stuff. Uh, there's a lot of solutions that are in common with aircraft. It's just fun to look through them, and these exploded drawings of how things go together and what's in there. I think it's pretty darn neat. Yeah, yeah Aircraft is what I was thinking of. Yeah. Oh, okay. Now, if I could wave my magic wand and arrange for you to have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that be? It'd have to be Carol Shelby. Ah, Yeah, I just had Aaron Shelby on the show, his grandson, and got to talk a little bit about that perspective of Carol. I got to meet Carol a few times, didn't get to have a meal or drink with him, but got to say hello to him, and at one point, I got to kind of listen to him talk to some people at a small venue, but that's the second most mentioned person with that question do you know who the number one would be mario andretti henry ford henry ford henry ford i wouldn't pick that one yeah yeah interesting yeah definitely old carol would be someone to talk to i got to spend an evening i was i actually my wife and i spent a weekend with uh, peter brock and his wife gail when they moved to uh, nevada and we were sitting out on his deck overlooking the city lights there in the desert and 
I said, you worked with Carol. What was he like? And he just started laughing. He goes, how much time do you have? And uh, we (laughs) stayed up till late enjoying a drink and listening to stories from his perspective, having been there. I'd wish I'd had the recorder on, you know, be fascinating. He's been a guest a couple of times here. Yeah, definitely. Oh, my gosh. Talk about not having the fear gene. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. We both grew up on chicken ranches. So yeah, I would love to hear his story and how he thought about it and how he faced these doors, you know, that we talked about. Oh, lots of doors in that guy's life. I'm looking forward to this new film coming up about him and racing the GT40s and so forth. We'll see how they do that. I'm not quite sure about the people they picked to do it, but I'm trying to be open and enjoy it. And you mentioned Garth Stein's The uh, Art of Racing in the Rain book, because I'm going to ask you about a book next. Garth was a guest here, and when I had him on, he said, I'd like to have a movie made someday. And now three years later, here we go. We're about to have a movie launched. What is your favorite book or a book that you'd like to share with the listeners? Yeah. So, you know, Art of Racing in the Rain is obviously one of them. And you've probably heard that a million times. I'm going to tell you a different one, uh, Richard Bach Illusions. That's a very interesting book about, talks about fear and starts off with the idea of these creatures that live along the bottom of a river and they let go and people say, you're going to die. You're going to bash into the rocks. And of course they find something different. And it's all about how people are drawn together in life. And it's, it's a fascinating book. I'm going to get a copy of that. I've not read that book, so I appreciate you mentioning that. I'll remind our listeners, you can find all these great things Jim has shared with us on his very own Cars yeah show notes page on the Cars yeah website. Just type Jim or Jim Cantrell to get there quicker, because I've had a lot of Jims on the show, and the page will be right there. All right, Jim, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question, it can be a bit of a doozy for a guy that enjoys cars, has had a lot of cars, and has some cars. Today, I'm going to buy you a collector car. Anyone in the world, vintage race car, doesn't matter what it is, but you got to play by my rules. One is you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with or fund a business. Two, you have to drive it. I don't think that's a problem for you. I'm not into garage queens here. And of course, it's the only collector car or vintage race car you can have. That's what makes it a little hard because you got to pick the one you got to live with. What's it going to be? These are any strata. Oh, really? Okay. Well, that's really interesting because I'm not sure I've heard that from anybody. And I'm kind of surprised because it's such a beautiful car. What is it about that car that lights you up? You got me to have to uh, have the same race car and the same car you can drive on the street. Oh. So you can with that car. Yeah. Yeah. It's the most beautiful car I've ever made. And I can still buy parts for it at at Kroger. (laughs) Well... You know what I love about that car? To me, it looks like it started as somewhat of a beautiful coupe, and then somebody compressed it and kind of spread it out just to the perfect rights. There was a gentleman who lived up here in the Northwest that had one that he raced, and he brought it over, and we borrowed it, and uh, we're shooting it for a catalog cover. And I remember my son was there that day. He was in junior high, and I've got great pictures of him. I'll send it to you of him sitting in that car. Uh, Mr. Cotter, Bill Cotter, had that car. Yeah, you probably know him from Vintage Racing. He did a lot of... I've met him, yes. Yeah, yeah. Very cool car. All right, Pizzerini Strada, that is a nice choice, my friend. Jim, you've taken me on an amazing ride today. Uh, We've launched into space. We've gone around racetracks. We've enjoyed the desert there in Tucson. This has been really fun. I want to thank Cindy Meidel for introducing us to each other. She knows a lot of great people, and she said, you have to talk to Jim. And I tell you, you are a guy that's very comfortable in his skin, and I could spend hours learning from you. I want to thank you for sharing your time with us today. Could you offer us a little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off into the desert hills in that Bitserini Strada? Yeah. Look, life is uh, short and you don't know how many years you have left. So damn it, if you want to go buy that car, go buy it now. 
There you go. I like that. I'm going to tell my wife that. Jim told me. It's okay, dear. Exactly. It is okay. It is okay. What's the best way for our listeners to follow along with you and your businesses? Yeah, probably Twitter is a good place, James N. Cantrell. And then I have a personal website, jimcantrell.com. And if you want to learn about vintage exotics, it's vintageexotics.com. And Vector, just type Vector Launch into Google and you'll see everything you want to see. All right. There you go. Listeners, again, you can find all these things on Jim's show notes page. I would encourage you to follow this guy along because he's going places. He's been places. And, uh, He's creating the future. I think this is fantastic. Jim, thanks again for joining me today, for being so generous with your time and expertise. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road or in outer space. Bye-bye. Bye. You take care of your cars, but who takes care of your investments? Tune-ups aren't just for engines. Updating your financial plan is important, too. Your GPS may take you from A to B, but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified, and he's a car guy, too. Learn more at chrisvkimble.com or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.